You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning. Well, a little while back, I want to tell you that an incredible event happened in our family. I took my two kids to see a movie in a movie theater. That's it. That's the whole thing. In a movie theater. That sounds so normal, but we had not all been to a movie theater to see a movie together in almost two years. Anybody have that experience of returning somewhere and thinking, I don't even know how this works anymore. Like, they have heaters in the seats now, like seat warmers. It was a really strange experience. I was glad that we were using this first time back, our renewed movie-going experience, to see a really important movie. It was a cinematic feast of cultural heritage, family dynamics, complex relationships, and restoration. And it was the powerful story of a family with remarkable gifts and hidden secrets. It was more than a movie, it, it was a film, really. And it, I think we have a picture of it on the screen. Uh, it was It was in Kanto, and okay, maybe I need to get out more. And no, we are not going to talk about Bruno, no, no, this morning. <laughs> we are going to talk about the three sisters at the heart of the movie, Mirabel, Isabel, and Luisa, who could not be more different from each other. Everyone in this remarkably gifted family has a remarkable gift. Everyone except the main character, right? Mirabel. Uh, and she is still hoping, still dreaming that she'll receive a gift so she can be just as extraordinary and as accepted and loved as the other gifted members of her family. Then there's her sister, Isabel, who, I don't, her gift is, I couldn't quite get it, supernatural flower arranging, I think is the gift that she got. She is practically perfect in every way, but she longs to be released from her family's expectations of her perfectionism, to stop pretending for once that she has it all together. And then there's Louisa. And Louisa, I have to admit, is probably my favorite. Louisa may be the most unlikely of all Disney princesses of the sisters. Her gift is super strength. And she uses it to serve, friends. She is always helping, always giving, always lifting burdens for her family. She swats boulders out of the way. She moves whole buildings. She literally carries her whole family and bears all the burdens for them. And Lin-Manuel Miranda, who you may remember from such mega hits as the musical Hamilton, uh, mentioned that he, he mentioned this in an interview, that he actually wrote Luis's part as a sort of love letter to his older sister, a kind of apology to her, actually. His sister, who had all this extra pressure on her growing up and the burdens of the oldest child. Any oldests in the room? Yeah, yeah there's one. <laughs> So in an interview, Lin-Manuel Miranda said this. He said, I'm the baby of the family, and I have a sister who's six years older, and she got a raw deal. That song, Luis's song, is my love letter and apology to my sister because I had it easier. I watched my sister deal with the pressure of being the oldest and carrying burdens I never have to carry. 
He even remembered one Christmas morning where his parents went in and woke up his older sister early on Christmas so that she could put together a toy that he was going to receive. How's that for a Christmas morning? And so he said he put all of those memories, all of that family pressure to perform, to be gifted, only to give it to others, and he wrote them all into the character of Louisa just to show that he had seen her and loved her and cared. And at one point in the movie Encanto, Louisa is feeling all kinds of pressure to perform as the possibility of her worth, maybe she thinks, comes only from her gifts. People love her gifts, but do they really love the person behind them? And as those gifts are threatened, she poses what I think is one of the underlying questions of the whole movie. She says in her song, I'm pretty sure I'm worthless if I can't be of service. And that's a haunting line, friends. I'm pretty sure I'm worthless if I can't be of service. And that was that moment in this darkened movie theater for the first time in a couple of years where a seemingly light and entertaining Disney movie started to hit a little too close to home for me. How does Disney do that to us? Um, it, it started to strike a chord in me, uh, one that I used to call gifted kid burnout. That thing that happens to those who have sailed to the top of the class, but begin to feel the weight and the pressure of being one who's supposed to be smart or strong or mature, one who's supposed to set the example or have it all together. And that's when the gifts that define us begin to feel like a trap. Am I loved and valued if I don't perform? If I don't make the grade? If I don't lead the group, if I don't make the team. For so many of us, love and acceptance have at times felt very contingent on our gifts. Who are we if we can't serve? And so some of us have asked from time to time, am I loved just for what I do, for what I produce, for how I perform? How does this love thing really work anyway? Well, in the Gospel of John, I think Jesus is setting out to answer this question for us. He wants to explain to us who he is, how he loves us, and how he longs to be in relationship with us. And to explain this, Jesus offers more than a greeting card. He actually gives us a syllabus, a whole little mini course in who he is, a set of seven lessons in the Gospel of John called the I Am Statements a mini course in understanding Jesus so we can understand our relationship to him and his love for us. And I love that Jesus is not trying to be mysterious or elusive or coy. He doesn't say, you know, you can never really know me. Like, I'm God, right? He, he doesn't say, okay, you can try to know me, but you figure it out for yourself. I'm not gonna give you any clues. No, this is the God of self-revelation. Jesus says, I want you to know me, so much so that I'm gonna tell the story of who I am in seven different ways. Friends, the invitation to know the God of the universe in a personal way, don't miss how big that is here. There are seven I am statements in this syllabus of knowing and loving Jesus in the Gospel of John. And today, the one that we're gonna talk about is from John 15, I am the vine. 
I am the vine, Jesus says, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them will bear much fruit because apart from me, guess what? You can do nothing. And I love that this I am statement is an agricultural image. It's literally a growing picture of what it means to follow Jesus. Here Jesus is saying, if you wanna know who I am, go outside. Look at how growing things grow. Look at vines and vineyards. Look at the trunks of trees. Look at living things. It's almost like Jesus wanted us to hear from him that following him is not a one and done kind of event. It's not a single prayer that we pray where we're one time converted from one thing to another and then we just hang out on earth waiting to die and go be with him in heaven. There's so much more to it. Instead, instead, he wants us to see that life in Christ is a dynamic reality, not a static one. Instead of just a one-time commitment, it's a bit more like caring for a living thing. You've gotta remember to water it, to nurture it, to remember to let it grow and not neglect it. This is a, a growing and developing way of life that he's inviting us into, one that changes and grows just as living things change and grow. That is how our relationship with Jesus works. And that's pretty different, isn't it, from, from living in an industrial or a technological society, from some pictures that we might have in our heads. Sometimes we, we treat relationship to God like it's, we're a piece in a machine as if we're cogs in God's great infrastructure being measured by our productivity for him, right? Like the gifts in the family in Kanto, where we speak in terms of things like asking God to use us. And there's nothing wrong with being used by God, but that's a pretty transactional image of being passive machinery, a tool in God's hands. But this is a God giving us a picture that is not transactional at all. It's very relational. Being used by God is not a bad thing, but there is no machinery in Jesus' picture. Instead, living things. In this image, here's what we get from Jesus. A vine, a gardener, branches, and fruit. And in the plant kingdom, the vine or the trunk, it's not just the source of water and nutrients that flow through the plant, it's the supplier as well. A, a large tree with a large trunk doing the work that we call transpiration, that's the work where the tree moves the water all the way up from the roots to the branches to the leaves. A large tree can move, get this, 100 gallons of water in a day. I mean, you look at a tree, it looks like it's doing nothing. It is doing hard work. Can you imagine how much energy it would take for you to move 100 gallons of water by hand? Gathering 100 gallons in buckets, walking it, no, lifting it straight up to its destination. That's a lot of work. But in this picture, it's not your work. In the tree, it's the trunk's business. The leaves don't do the work. The branches don't do the work. They do not draw water. It is pushed into them and through them, through the trunk, or in this case, the vine in Jesus' image. 
A good friend of mine, a, a great old Texas preacher with a slow Texas drawl that I grew up hearing in the pulpit, told me once that he preached on this passage. And, and he decided to use, as part of this image, one of the insults that he had grown up with being part of his vocabulary. Um, he said when he was growing up, when children wanted to you know, give each other a hard time, when they wanted to call each other cowards, they didn't say things like, you're such a chicken. In West Texas, they said, you yellow-bellied sapsucker. <laughs> Does anybody, do people say that here? No, just Texas. Okay, well, uh, anyway, he was telling this to his congregation that he didn't mind being a sapsucker in the kingdom of God. That in this picture, he, the branch, was plugged into Jesus, the vine, having his needs met by him. And his main job was just to be a sapsucker. And it didn't bother him one bit to be called by what was an insult in his childhood. Only that day, there was, there was a botanist in the congregation. And she came up to him at the end of the service and she knew plants. And, and she let him know, you know what, that's not quite right. Because branches don't even suck sap. They don't do the work. It's the vine, the trunk, it pushes. They don't pull. And that's what Jesus is saying here. I am the vine and the vine does the work, friends. You don't draw out my grace by earning it. You don't suck sap by deserving it. You simply plug into me and receive. We're not called to be takers in our relationship with God. God's too big a giver for that. He's the vine. He is pushing out nourishment and love and all of our needs. And we don't even have time to pull from him or earn or deserve because he already wants to give so much if we will just stay plugged in. The branches are helpless, dependent. It's the push of the trunk that lifts what we need through the tree, all the way from the roots to the trunk to the extremities where we live on the branches that moves through life. Listen, I want you to know that you have beautiful gifts, scholarship-worthy gifts. <laughs> I want you to know, though, that this story, this image, it's not about your gifts. The love of Jesus is the gift here. And it's not a prize. It's not a reward. It's not something you win or lose, earn or drop. The love of God is not something you get because of how good you are or how gifted you are. Not like in the Encanto family's household where people are measured by their gifts, loved for how they perform, maybe worthless if they can't serve. Jesus' love isn't something we can pull towards us like a medal to earn, but something flowing out to us with the power of the force of 100 gallons moving straight up, a force that defies gravity. Jesus is the source, the vine, flowing upward and outward through us, the branches. And so finally, we get to the part of the image about us, the branches. We're ready, Jesus. We want to hear it. We want to know our role. Tell us, go team. Tell us, produce fruit. We want to do big things for you, God. Good things. Big ministries. Cool vocations. We want to live lives that honor you. Show us how to produce fruit. So if we're to understand how a branch fits into this picture, you, you can sort of see the shape that branches take, reaching inward to grab hold of the vine, right? Reaching outward to bear fruit. 
Doesn't that look like a branch's job? Like the shape that a branch might take, reaching inward to grab hold of the vine, reaching outward on the other hand to bear fruit, like go branches, get busy, bear fruit, push it on out. The problem is there is no command in this passage to bear fruit. Nowhere does it say, go get them, bear some fruit, do the work. There's no pep talk from Jesus. His command is simply to abide, simply to plug in and remain plugged in. And he repeats that again, abide, abide, abide. An incredible man named Andrew Murray, writing in the late 1800s, had this to say about the relationship between abiding and fruit bearing. He said this in sort of 1800s language. He said, it is not your willing or your running. It is not by your might or strength, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Meet each new engagement, undertake every new work with an ear and a heart open to the master's voice. He that abideth beareth much fruit. See you to the abiding, he will see to the fruit, for he will give it in you and through you. Isn't that good? That's from a little book called The True Vine, Meditations for a Month on John 15. It's 99 cents on Kindle, just saying. See you to the abiding, he will see to the fruit. He will give it in you and through you. God is the one responsible for the fruit that we bear. We are responsible to abide, cling to Jesus, drink in Jesus, plug into Jesus, abide, abide. That's all over this passage. That's the pep talk. That is the encouragement. So what does it look like to abide in him? I think for a long time when I, I heard this passage, when I heard the word abide, I got a certain picture in my head that I thought it was about you know, what we called quiet time or devotional time where you get up an extra hour, maybe two, three hours in the morning, pray, read your Bible, sit in that one specific spot facing that specific direction, use the right tools, say all the right things to God and you're all set for the day. Those are good practices for the day, by the way. It's good to spend time with the Lord. It's also true you don't have to get up at, oh, dark 30 in the morning to do it. It can happen any time in your day. But there's more to this abiding thing than that one chair facing that one direction. And, and we don't use the word abide anymore, so it's, it's hard for us to know what it means. We don't say things like, hey, wanna come by and abide after class today? Would you like to abide over coffee this weekend? Let's go to Drinklings and abide for a while. Abide is an old word, but it's a really cool word. It, it's related to the word abode meaning something, a place where you make your home or someone that you make your home with. It, it helps me to understand it a little more, thinking about who I abide with, who I make my abode with. In, in my life, I think we have a, a picture. This is the person I often abide with, my husband, Jim. He's here today. He loves it when I put pictures of him up on a big screen. That's, that's a lie. He hates it. <laughs> So when we started dating, we've been married 16 years. When we started dating, I remember uh, the kind of time we spent together when we would abide. You know, we would, we would sit facing each other, knees touching, and we would just, you know, stare into each other's eyes dreamily. Do you remember this, Jim? No, it's been too long. And, 
and you know, we just were, were so intrigued. We just wanted to know more about each other, deep conversations, lots of laughter, lots of great stories. And, and over the last 16 years, uh, the kind of time we spend together has shifted, it's changed. Sometimes, it feels a little more like we're, we're co-workers in a household together, right? We're like, you gotta pick up that kid and I'm gonna pick up this kid and you're gonna get the groceries and I'll get the prescriptions and we'll meet right here at the end, check. And sometimes the kind of time we spend together is spent you know, within our family, like sitting at the dinner table and one of our kids says something particularly funny and our eyes just kind of meet over the table. We don't even have to say anything. We're just kind of laughing or being proud. Sometimes the kind of time we spend together is with, with people, with other friends. We're out in the world doing things, but I just, I know he's right there, even if we're in separate conversations. Sometimes we're just like sitting on the couch, vegging, watching something. You know, there, there was time that I spent doing things without him before I knew him that felt a little like wasted time, right? But when we do it together, it's like we're not wasting time. We're, we're abiding together. And sometimes we, you know, sit and look deeply into each other's eyes. It still happens. And listen carefully and tell stories and laugh at what each other say. There's all different kinds of time that we spend together. I wouldn't want to miss out on any of those kinds of time. I wouldn't want to be in coworker mode with him unless we had had deep conversation mode. I wouldn't want to be out in public mode with him by my side unless we had also had family mode together. It, that abiding crosses all those kinds of time. And I wonder if this is what Jesus is inviting us into where abiding with him is not spent in one hour or two hours or really, you know, 10 minutes here or there. How much time do you need to spend with Jesus really? All of it. That's what he wants. He wants to be part of all of it. You need time apart with him, time in intimacy with him, reading and praying and knowing him deeply, but that will carry you into abiding in the vegging time and the friendship time and the working time and the class time. Here is abiding, friends. Here is the vine. He wants you plugged in 24 hours, not just one. And, and he wants to fill you so much that you bear much fruit. Now, what kind of fruit are we talking about here? Let's get to it. Let's jump to the results section. The most important fruit that abiding produces is actually invisible to the world. Not anything someone will see on your resume or your grades. What kind of fruit do we bear? Well, the fruit that flows from our abiding is first and foremost the fruitful character of Christ in us. Those fruit of the Spirit that are described in Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, that is fruit, friends. When you begin to resemble the one who is the vine, then you are bearing his fruit. And the second kind of fruit that it produces is the fruitful ministry of Christ through us. That's what we rush to talk about often, the fruit that we produce, what can we do for Jesus? But he wants it first and foremost to be who we are for him, the fruitful character of Christ in us so he can produce the fruitful ministry of Christ through us. C.S. Lewis said it this way, if you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. 
They are not a sort of prize that God could, if he chose, just hand out to anyone. They are a great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the center of reality. I love that. God is not withholding as a prize for us to earn. If we get close to him, he will make us like him, just like getting close to a fire makes us warm. Fruit flows from our abiding, the fruitful character of Christ in us, and the fruitful ministry of Christ through us. This is the posture of the branch, right? The posture of the branch is to abide, to stay plugged in, and to reach outward and say, Lord, make fruit through me, but I wanna tell you that this only goes one direction. God's not waiting for us to produce, for us to earn, for us to achieve. He is simply flowing through us, the abiding to the fruit, where we get messed up so often as we think that it's about the fruit so much that we think we need to do more, we need to be more. Lord, I'm not doing or being enough, and so I probably need to take this hand off and work on the fruit over here. And then what happens? Withering, <laughs> drying up. You've been there, right? Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And a branch without the vine, is just a stick. So abide. Let your focus be this direction. Let God do the work through you. Abiding is a gift, and abiding is always available. It's not something that expires where God gives up on you. He says, just reach back, plug in, abide with me. Let's spend some of that wonderful time together. I wanna be in each moment of your life. So we've all been through different seasons. We've seen different places in our life where we felt dry, where we felt like we were in winter, where maybe we were dormant, because living things have life cycles. Gardens go through seasons, and a gardener understands not to go out in the winter and look for fruit, because gardeners understand that living things grow at different rates at different times. Did you know that about yourself? If you feel dry or like not much life is flowing through you, maybe it's not the end of something. Maybe it's a season you're in. If you look at these pictures of trees, one thing that's true of actually this one tree in each season is that the branches don't disconnect in any of those seasons. They're still plugged in, still drinking deeply, still being fed, even if the fruit is not on the outside coming out. So you don't have to change what season you're in. The call, the pep talk, is to abide. Plug in. Recognize the false vines where you've been looking for nourishment. Unplug from those. Plug back into Jesus. Your faith is a living thing, and it can be brought to bloom again.